episode 264 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Thursday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Thursdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? Uh, it's been a whirlwind day. It's been, been a crazy day. Twitter fights yeah. going. A lot of day baseball. It's been, Everyone's it's been yelling. Nuts. Everyone's yelling. Everyone's angry. Why, why can't mm-hmm. we just bask in the glow of Hasashi Iwakuma's no-hitter, for crying out loud? <laughs> I know. I mean, come I mean, on. Geez. Jeez, let's just enjoy that. Do no hitters still count? Can we use that stat? Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some players performing well, some players not performing so well. A, a, a solid prospect on the way up and, uh, and and much, much more. Actually, that's not true. Those are the only things we're going to talk about. We're going to start with Iwakuma and, and, and the no hitter. Now, you know, we obviously know that, that no hitters are just kind of a, a great day for a guy. They can happen to... Uh, good and bad pitchers alike. They're not necessarily indicative of something coming, but uh, they're kind of a stamp sometimes, especially if some guys, if somebody's pitching very well, and then you kind of see the no-hitter. Maybe you dig into their game log because of it. And if that were the case with Asashi Iwakuma, you would see that over his last seven starts, he's put up a 247 ERA in 51 innings of work with 44 strikeouts and nine walks. Uh, he's, he's been great lately. There's only one stinker outing in that, in that run there, a six run outing against Arizona that accounts for almost half the runs he allowed, uh, within the seven starts. He got off to a rough start in April and then hit the disabled list, uh, came back. His first start wasn't very good against Detroit. And I think he got a lot of heat for those four starts, considering that three of them preceded a DL injury, uh, a DL stint. And the other was right after it. So usually we give guys a bigger break on that, but I think because there were some struggles for Iwakuma to cap off 2014 that folks were kind of making the link that, okay, this is, this is a link to last year and, and there's trouble here. Uh, but he's turned, he's turned it around and he's looked a lot like the guy that we got used to for all of 2013 when he was an all-star and the, the large majority of 2014. Where are you on Hasashi Iwakuma after his very special day? You know, we, we've talked about the injury piece a little bit um, and how he was throwing 82 at one point um, and uh, had shoulder problems. So all that stuff's going to come back. He's mm-hmm. going to he's going to he's going to see that back again. And we he might have seen it back this year. So um, you can nothing. You can't say anything good without saying uh, something bad, which is that, you know, this might be a good time to sell him in a dynasty league. And also, uh, for what it's worth, he hangs those sliders sometimes. His, his most uh, the most home runs allowed on his pitches are the slider and the fastball, and that 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 goes along with the fact that the the fastball is 88, 89, and the slider is not his best pitch. So I think one thing you did see, especially in Jeff Sullivan's great write up of the the no hitter, was that there were three really long outs on hanging sliders, basically. Yes. And uh, you know, Seattle's the coldest park in the league. If you if those same hits happened in Baltimore or in Texas, I think um, you know you might have gotten that extra ten feet you get with the with the amount of degrees. Like seriously, the difference between Seattle and Baltimore some days is thirty degrees. Wow, and, that's you know that, so much. I mean, we're talking ninety and sixty. You know, like Texas sometimes is like ninety eight. You know, yeah. oh, uh, well into the one hundreds. Let's be honest. Uh, well, I mean, like at game time, you know, so. Um, I, you know, sometimes we're talking 30 degrees and that's like 10 feet of different dis- distance and 10 feet of distance on those fly balls that happen in that no hitter, um, you know, would be homers. So, uh, I think, you know, you see that with the 1.5 homers per nine on Iwakuma and you know that he's a free agent, uh, 
I think if he comes back to the major leagues, it's with Seattle. There's a there's a definite link between Japan and Seattle. Uh, a lot of I, you know, without getting racist or anything, I think Japanese free agents sometimes value things that other uh, free agents don't value. You saw, uh, for example, with um, uh, uh, the uh, guy in um, in New York, um, Tanaka Matsui. Uh, no, the pitcher before um, Akeagawa. Harabu? No, the the guy who was who was good. Uh, Dodgers and 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 Yankees. Uh, Nomo? Just went, no. No. Oh, Kuroda. Yeah, Kuroda. Kuroda could have pitched in this league if he had taken a deal from you know the Astros or or you know wherever Texas maybe. Certainly. But Kuroda was like, it's L.A. or New York or I'm going home. So he went home. And he's still pitching. So uh, you know, I think that Iwakuma could do something like that. Seattle or I go home. Um, but Still, given that DFS, when he's on the road, if he's in Texas, I'm a little bit worried about him. Um, you know, if he does sign with another district, um, another uh, organization, I'm worried about him. So I think it's a great time to sell in, in Dynasty. Maybe wait a week so people don't think you're selling because of sure. uh, the, the no-hitter. Sure, yeah. And, and like I said, you know, he's been on a good run. Uh, but homers have always been an issue. So as you get older – you know, all of a sudden that 1.0 rate starts bumping up to 1.3. Like you said, it's at 1.5 this year. So that is the concern with him, uh, which would make it tough to ever replicate that 2.66 ERA again. Uh, I, I just, I still think he's he's pretty good. He's a pretty good pitcher. Uh, Great point about, you know, we'll see what happens with, with regards to his free agency. Maybe he does decide to just go home because, you know, if his velocity is declining and it is a situation where he's not getting it back, well, that can still be very successful in Japan because they don't throw as fast. And I don't think there's a- anything wrong with saying that. It's just a simple fact of in that league, uh, they're not throwing the ball nearly as fast. So he's going to play up a little bit more than he might here in the States. Let's talk about Miguel Sano. Uh, it was probably on the opposite end of the age spectrum for sure. Uh, and just absolutely beasting lately. I mean, he hit two mammoth shots the other night that were so, especially the second one that were so gone that it was absolutely ridiculous. Just monster shots, like the perfect encapsulation of his 80 raw power, uh, which was playing at 80 game power on that night. He's been great. Uh, he's got a 980 OPS, 295 average, 409 on base, and then a 571 slug and seven homers in his first 137 plate appearances as a major leaguer. I mean, obviously this this kind of crazy pace wouldn't keep up for a full year, but that's a 35-120 kind of season for homers and RBIs with the, with the incredible rate stats. Miguel Sano was a hot prospect, but I think missing all of last year kind of tamped down the excitement on him. So he didn't have kind of that Chris Bryant level of excitement, Carlos Correa level of excitement. And so he might have gone a little bit under the radar when he came up, but he's playing like a star right now. Where are you at on Miguel Sano? Yeah, the big question has been, you know, Sano versus Korea. I take Korea because he's a shortstop, and, you know, Sano is just, you know, enjoying that eligibility this year and won't in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Sano versus Schwarber. Uh, you know, Schwarber is going to have the catcher eligibility a little bit longer. Um, you know, Sano versus, you know, guys with more of a track record. And the, the thing with Sano is that he does everything to get to have a high Babbitt. I mean, other than the fact that he's a pull hitter, but he's still, even though he's a pull hitter, he's right-handed. So, you know, no matter what, it's not going to be, you know, Mark Teixeira levels. Mm. And then if you if you set the limit down to, so that he fits in, in terms of plate appearances, 
second most hard percentage, you know, second most hard hit balls in, in, in baseball to Giancarlo Stanton. And, you know, Stanton had the same, you know, issues with strikeouts and like pretty much on the same level. I mean, so, you know, when, yeah, when Stanton debuted, 31.1% strikeouts, right? Mm-hmm. So Sano is, is right there with Stanton. I think he really ticks almost every box that Stanton, that Stanton ticks. Maybe a little bit less athleticism when it comes to work in the field, uh, but maybe uh, less likely to get hit, you know, maybe uh, maybe a little bit of a different, uh, you know, uh, injury outcomes, although Sano's had a few injuries himself. In fact, I think, just looking at it now, I think he's another Stan. Like, I, I, that's that's who I think he is. I, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Oh, my God. I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, we're dealing with small samples, but it's still fun to look at these hilariously excellent numbers. 48% hard hit rate. That is absolutely crazy. 32% homer to fly ball, 419 BABIP. The dude is out of his mind right now. His BABIP and his WOBA are almost matching, 419 and 417 (laughs) respectively. 17% walk rate too, which is really offsetting some of that 33% strikeout rate. Uh, You know, yeah, he's striking out, but when he isn't, he's walking or absolutely obliterating the baseball. I want to move on to one of his teammates who's been performing uh, pretty well of late. And this is a former top prospect who used to have some buzz and excitement in the fantasy world. But, you know, after a couple of, of really awful trials, and these weren't necessarily tiny samples, 313 plate appearances in 2013, 225 last year. Aaron Hicks is the guy we're talking about coming into this season with those 538 plate appearances. So basically a full season, he had a 69 OPS plus, which is nice, but it's actually not nice. So uh, even, even with that, if you count that as like a season, nine homers, 13 stolen bases, that those two numbers aren't awful, you know, almost a double double, but the rate stats were so bad for Hicks. It was just looking pretty awful. I, I think he got off to a pretty bad start again this year too, but he has come around to where he's now uh, got a 292, 346, 440 line with seven homers and nine stolen bases and 237 plate appearances. So basically, or not basically, but you know, pretty close to matching the homer and stolen base totals in half the playing time. Is Aaron Hicks starting to pan out on some of his prospect pedigree or just in the midst of a hot run? You know, I've talked a little bit about how he's swinging more now and that fits his swing strike rate better. He has good contact skills, above average contact skills, and he's always had worse than average strikeout rate because he's been so patient. So I think, you know, sometimes you get into bad counts if you if you take too many pitches. And, you know, maybe he thought that was just part of his identity or whatever, but now he's swinging more. His walk rate is eh, but I think at some point he'll be able to get together with this uh, swinging more and also taking, uh, uh, you know, taking some walks. So I think the walks will go up a little bit. I feel now much better about a strikeout rate going forward. I'll take Steamer's uh, 10% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate going forward. So uh, those are above average and average, respectively. And then, you know, one part I haven't talked about with Hicks that also makes me believe him more is if you look at his ground ball per fly ball mix and his pull uh, percentages and his soft, medium, hard, he's basically, you know, uh, oscillated in different ways. And he's basically now taking the best parts of his different things that he's done over the over his career Absolutely. so used to you know in his rookie season he hit too many fly ball or he had, he had more, he hit the most fly balls of his career and he also hit the most infield fly balls of his career so that's that's bad right yeah then last year he pulled the most of his career and he also hit the most soft contact and, and you know just balls. really generally and then tons of ground balls yeah exactly 
And then this year, he's gone back to hitting more fly balls, but not hitting the infield fly balls with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pulling a little bit less, going oppo more, and, you know, getting the, the good hard contact, mostly medium hard contact. He isn't a snow in terms of, like, you know, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He's going to be a guy who gets you maybe 10 homers at most in a given season. But I think he's going to pair that with, you know, 20 uh, stolen bases and give you the, you know, Adam Eaton-esque. You know, I think Adam Eaton now is a 275-15-15 guy. And I think that Aaron Hicks can do that for you for even cheaper because he doesn't, as much as uh, Adam Eaton doesn't get much love, you know, Aaron Hicks gets even less. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's because he kind of burned that pos- prospect pedigree because we get, yeah. again, I, I say this a lot, but it's the truth. And I think it gets truer with each passing prospect that we get spoiled on these guys who, who come up and Schwarber it and Correa it. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, Harper did, has been great out of the gate. Trout, uh, Trout actually gets lumped in there, but he actually wasn't great out the gate. His, his, uh, his first appearance in the majors was actually pretty poor. Um, and then, and then he had the most amazing rookie season ever the following year, but we get spoiled on these guys who come up right away and start showing what we, what we believe them to have in their top projection. Whereas it does just take some guys longer. He's only 25 years old still for Aaron Hicks. And yeah, it was pretty wretched for those two samples, but it still only equaled up to a season's worth of numbers. Uh, so, you know, I understood it. I wasn't out there beating the drum saying we have to stick with Hicks. I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that I'm just saying that we, as a, community together probably need to reassess some of these guys with the big prospect pedigree and not necessarily give up on them so quickly. Let's move over to uh, the the next potential prospect who could uh, continue to shade our view on that. We'll see. He's not he's not the highest of high prospects, but he's he's well thought of, and he was somebody that uh, the the Yankees were refusing to trade to get any trade deadline help. And it was Greg Bird that I'm talking about. He's the first baseman prospect. He's going to come up and play first, uh, I believe, on Friday. Obviously, they have a pretty good first baseman having a, an amazing comeback year this year in Mark Teixeira. So we'll see how the playing time works. But just talk to me about Bird as a player and what you can expect him to do. Yeah, you know, he's one of these guys that were waiting on the raw power to, to translate. And, you know, double A, triple A, you know, combined probably basically a 200 ISO altogether. Um, and that's good, but the bar is so high for first baseman that it's, he's a little bit like Josh Bell in that, you know, the bar is really high and, you know, he could turn into a Goldschmidt type where, you know, you know, some of the numbers make you wonder and then everything clicks at the major league level, or he could just be like, you know, the million Gabby Sanchez types in the, in the world that, uh, that, no. you know, just, I mean, that's maybe a little bit rude. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, he's he's going to sue you for defamation. At least he's, <laughs> yeah, he's left handed to Gary Sanchez's right handedness. But uh, <laughs> um, just in general, I would say that, you know, none of the numbers stick out as making him a can't miss guy. None of the rankings stick out as making him a can't miss guy. You know, 50 future value, yes, uh, from, from Kylie, but he gave him a 20 hit and a 20 game power right now. So he's basically giving that future value based on his ability to get that hit tool and that game power going. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a good sign that he went out this year and cut the strikeout rate. So I think that's probably cashing in on the hit tool a little bit. And maybe if Kylie ranked him now, he'd give him a 30 or 40 um, on that hit tool. Um, and uh, so then the question is, is power. 
And, um, you know, if he, if he has like a 180 ISO and is going to strike out 22% of the time and walk 8% of the time, I mean, I think that's like, I mean, I think that's an average uh, first baseman. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't even think that's an average first baseman. It might be below average. Let me see here. League stats, first baseman. What did you, uh, you say for the what, what were the walk oh, rates? Below average. Oh yeah, eight uh, percent walk rate. The, the 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 average first baseman is nine percent. Yeah, I was gonna say nine uh, or ten. Twenty-three percent strikeout rate. Uh, the average first baseman is twenty-one, and then a one-eighty ISO for the average first baseman. So for Greg Bird to be valuable, and you have to think about the Yankees. You know, people talk about average. You know, have you ever heard, you've heard people talk about like first division starter yes, and, and second division starter? You know, Greg Bird could be a second division starter and the Yankees wouldn't want him. I mean, and he wouldn't crack that lineup nope. because of Teixeira and, you know. So an average first baseman is 256, 330, 435. That first baseman may not start for uh, the Yankees. That you know what I mean? Sense. No, that totally makes so, sense. And I think that it's just, uh, I don't see the need to like keep 10 situation. Probably not going to play himself into that. Yeah. Uh, you know, keep 15, 12 team. I don't know, maybe. Uh, dynasty 15 team and plus, and then now you're talking about him being interesting, but also talking about him maybe already being owned. Yeah, and this is so. why I don't get too hung up on first base prospects usually. I, I just, yeah. I, it's so hard to keep them too, to stick with them, especially if you have limits and you're making me choose. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to choose maybe a, a lesser developed position, uh, somebody who at any other position. Uh, of a prospect, even over somebody like Bird, who's now going to have some major league experience and be in the high minors at the very worst coming into next year. So I totally get you on that. Uh, let's stay in New York, but jump over to the veteran side of things. Talk about Curtis Granderson, who hit his 20th home run today. He's quietly having a really strong season. Uh, mentioned the 20 home runs. His ISO is crawling, uh, creeping back up to the 200 level. He's at 196 now. It's his highest in three years uh, after the injury-riddled 2013 and then last year's down season. But uh, he's he's having a great year. His his home runs, uh, the 20 match what he did in 155 games last year. 63 runs are just 10 shy of what he did in the full season. So uh, his on base is back up. I obviously have a strong favorable bias toward Mr. Granderson, and I will freely admit that. So I'll step away and let you give an assessment of, of how you feel his season's been going. What do you think of Granderson? I took a lot of crap for saying that I thought his deal was decent. Yeah. And I thought, uh, I thought you know, that uh, this is a guy with a lot of tools that is going to have a soft landing because, you know, he has – he maybe doesn't have five tools. I mean – I don't know if you want to give him a hit tool. You know, his, his average, his Babbitt for his career is three on one. His strikeout rate is twenty three percent. His batting average two fifty seven. Doesn't sound like a guy who has a plus hit tool. You know, before he before he discovered some of that power, uh, back in you know in Detroit when he was not a huge power guy, I think he had a better hit tool. But I think he's changed his approach, and it's for the better. It's it's that it's that evolution uh, of a player who goes from from his mid-20s into his mid-30s and just starts focusing on power a bit more. But, yeah, at this point, you're definitely right. And, you know, while he's been with the Mets, you know, the, he wasn't great last year, but he was an asset when it came to power, patience, speed, you know, on the base paths. Um, and I thought that the, I thought last year's defense might be a little bit of a blip, and this year it's proven to be the case. He's been much better defensively this year. Um, and so that's the real-life component. The fantasy component is just merely, uh, you know, on base, on base percentage league, you know, 
was probably useful to you last year. 20 homers, 8 stolen bases, 326. And then, um, you know, in batting average leagues, he's just not going to hit you those 40 homers that make the 230, 240, 250 batting average useful. So, um, you know, with Sano, if you're in a batting average league, you get 250. He's probably going to hit you 35 homers. Yeah. So you're okay with the 250. Granderson, you know, especially going forward, the stolen base piece. Like, if I was talking about next year, Granderson might be projected for, you know, 240, 22 homers, and, you know, 10 stolen bases. And, I mean, it's it's useful, but it's not the kind of thing that uh, you, you know, especially as, like, an analyst, that you want to risk, you know, calling him a sleeper because um, the reward isn't very high. Sure. You know? I mean, like, he, yeah, he'll be forgotten. Uh, he, yeah. he'll he'll be forgotten probably and it ignored it a bit so there'll be some some net value possibly even with the average this year he's, he's been able to kind of outrun it uh, on ESPN's player rater he's the 26th outfielder even getting a negative in average but yeah when you're talking about going forward if the average continues to go down and again this 254 is a, a four-year high watermark after 227 229 and 232 so I think it's a perfectly safe bet to bump that average down. It definitely does become tougher, but the power currency is still uh, so valuable to me that uh, Curtis Granderson will find his way on some of my clubs. Again, in addition... It's also, also, even if he doesn't steal you 10 bases next year, there is some value in a guy doing the average, which I think is about eight stolen bases for most fantasy leagues. Um, You know, when you don't get those eight stolen bases, it's a negative. Yeah. So, you know, at the very least, he's going to be representative there. And that allows you a little bit of flexibility elsewhere. Yeah, you could do worse. And then again, bump him up in OBP leagues because I think he'll continue to walk and, and be a positive asset in those type of leagues. Let's talk about some guys who are struggling. You know, we got a couple of the the biggest strugglers in the, in the second half. In fact, uh, this first guy here, Stephen Vogt, is third worst among qualified hitters in WRC Plus behind Nick Ahmed with a 10, Gene Segura with a 20, and then <laughs> Stephen Vogt with a 21. And, you know, Nick Ahmed, nobody's really surprised at all. In fact, probably surprised when he was had that little run of actually doing pretty well for a little bit. Um, Segura, maybe a little bit surprising. But after last year, uh, you know, in his second half of 2013, don't know that anybody's surprised that he could have a cold 24 games. But Vogt, you know, that's a pretty big surprise because of where he came from and the way that his stock had changed with his big first half. It's really bad. It's it's at that point. It's at that point where um, I think it starts to get into the player's head too. You know, when a player is is having a bad 25, 35 plate appearances, and and people are writing about it or tweeting about, it, they probably couldn't care less. But when you start getting into a situation where you're talking about 25, 30 games, which is a, you know 77 plate appearances here, you start tripling that up. That's why I think where it might start to get problematic. And that's again, that's just since the second half. His entire July was wretched uh, and his entire August has been wretched. What is your assessment of what's happening with Stephen Vogt right now? Is it just regression because he was so high? Is he nicked up or is it, was he just not that good when he when he got off to that hot start? Well, you know, one thing that stands out a little bit is that in July he had a 14 percent hard hit rate. And June, June and July was like really low, 20 and 14. So. Um, you know, something was going on there and, you know, there's some, there's some wonder in my mind if maybe he was a little bit hurt. Um, he, he just, 
you know, just things don't look right. I mean, he went from basically one to one ground balls to fly balls, and then July and August he started hitting one and a half ground balls to fly balls. So it it, you know, it, it he, would stand to reason because also look at all the all the extra games at catcher. He only played 15 yeah. games at catcher last year of his of his playing time. He's already got 79 behind the dish this year. That position just eats guys up too, and he's 30. He's not young, right? You know, and then the other part that's hard for me is to evaluate him because he's he he changes his approach and he changes uh, he's he's sort of a chameleon in that you know when I interviewed him I talked to him about well why did you have this high walk rate um, in uh, with the Rays one year for you had decent walk rates all the way along and then you know in AAA in 2011 you went you had a three percent walk rate and he said. Because I was talking to a coach, and we both decided that I wasn't going to get anywhere just walking. So I, I had to show them I had power, and the way, best way to show them I had power was to swing away. And he put up so, a 516 you know, slug that year. And he put up a 516 slug, and his, his strikeout rate doubled, and his walk rate halved. So, you know, overall, his uh, WRC plus from, you know, was actually equal to where it was the year before. So he probably, um, you know, in the eyes of, of Ray's management probably didn't make that much of a difference, but maybe it opens people's eyes uh, on some level here or there. Or, um, you know, <clears throat> maybe it made a difference. But I in mean, any case, it, it showed that it was in his arsenal and it kept a, a four year rising ISO, you know. So, again, maybe he just wanted to show that it was in his tool belt and say, listen, I can hit for some pop. Uh, maybe I'll find a way to mix the two where I still have this quality approach with the right. pop. And he was doing that for most of this year. And you, th- I think you see that the last couple of years too, where there are times when he has more pop, and there's times when he has more patience. And you know, right now he's kind of in this spot where, it, you know, I don't. It doesn't seem that bad to me. I mean, uh, it, I think we're mostly still seeing the July uh, swoon in there when we look at numbers, because <clears throat> so far in August, nine uh, percent walk rate, twenty six percent strikeout rate, but he had a bad strikeout rate in June. Um, you know, and uh, his ISO is 219, um, and his BABIP is 227. So. Yeah, he's hit four doubles and, and, a, and a homer in, in August to definitely – so you're starting to see some of the power come back. Right. So, you know, that 14 uh, WRC plus in July when, you know, he didn't have patience or power and his hard hit rate was way low, that's when I think that maybe he could have had some injury issues. But now he looks basically like – like he looked in June with a you know with a worse BABIP, and um, you know I could I could see it you know normalizing to sort of like a ten uh, percent strikeout rate, eighteen percent uh, I mean eighteen percent strikeout rate, ten percent walk rate, um, you know one eighty ice. I mean basically his, his career his his year numbers. I don't think um, okay, so. You're staying the course. I don't think it's it's too bad off, and plus okay. the, the position he's at uh, just gives him so much leeway. I mean it, it really can, does. He's still, you know, top five at his position, even given all the bad, you know, time he's put in. Yeah, I mean, he was so so fantastic early that that he does still boat still does stay in that top five. Although I will say, I believe you were proven, uh, not proven right necessarily based on this, but I still believe because I believed at the time that you were right, uh, and I believe you said this that they should have traded him. They should have looked to trade him at the deadline. 
I, I don't know if that was you, but I, I think it was uh, who when we were the talking third. about potential trade options, you said, well, why not move vote? He's raking, but he's 30. Why not? Uh, but I bet that July probably made it tougher because then it looks like the opposite of that Iwakuma situation that you're talking about where they're trying to trade him just because he's sucking. And obviously it's a little bit different in real baseball than fantasy, but I think the same thing would be there where his his value, because he doesn't have some huge track record, uh, would take a bit of a ding when he was in that in that major slump during July. What about Todd Frazier? Let's move over to him real quick because this, I believe this is the second year in a row that he's having a tough second half, and it's it's got some people really irked. Uh, the the link is that he played in the the home run derby both times too. Now that as a rule has been debunked that the the, the home run derby ruins your swing uh, as a rule. But I think it was debunked because it have, some guys have troubles, other guys don't. So couldn't it still be a case-by-case situation where maybe it does hamper guys? Uh, you know, you never know. I mean, it's uh, there are a bunch of high-effort swings. It's very pull-oriented, uh, and, um, you know, maybe that's not um, what uh, what – Todd Frazier needed. I mean, you know, now we're looking at the highest pull rate of his career. Um, yeah, and, I was gonna, also, and, and how would we even see that if it were the case? Because I'm not making the case that it, that this is the home run derby's fault. A, a lot of times, the guys who are in the home run derby are some of the best players, and they're going to have progression no matter what because they were just having an amazing season that was bound to to cool down. Yeah, that's. I think that's why it didn't show up, especially not in results. I'd be interested in seeing – if pull percentage goes up after the uh, pull percentage and fly ball percentage, because um, you know uh, Todd Frazier's uh, second highest fly ball percentage came in August uh, after the home run derby, and uh, his highest pull percentage of the year came in that in that month. So, I mean, there's there's some chance that um, that's related that he's getting a little pull happy because you know he had so much fun hitting dingers. But um, otherwise, you know, I think. You know, mostly I see, um, you know, just a guy that, you know, he's not the most cerebral guy, and I think he, he can be pitched to at times. So, um, you know, I don't think that, um, that he won't get out of it or anything. And I do think that 179 Babbitt in August has a lot to do with it. But, um, you know, I, he wasn't going to stay this hot all year. And, um mm-hmm. You know, I just think I think it's mostly I just think it's a bad month, you know, and, uh, you know, a 29 year old, uh, you know, who was who was about to, you know, hit 40 home runs. And, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen. So, well, I did. And so I'm bummed. But <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not jumping off board. I, yeah, I, I was I was fully bought in. I will freely admit that I'm still very happy with with all the Todd Frazier returns right now. Uh, you know, he's obviously sure. still having a great season, but yeah, you know, it, I, I, what I will say though, is that I was, I was hoping that, you know, I was believing that it was real, but I'm not necessarily thinking I would have said that it was going to be continue to be real. I just thought he was going to have this career year because he does have kind of the power speed combo. I'm like, Oh, here we go. 35, 20. It's going to be amazing. And uh, the, the stolen bases have really fallen off too. And it's, 
stolen bases are just so finicky. Uh, it's, it's really no surprise. It's almost like he passed the baton to Brandon Phillips because as he stopped running, Brandon Phillips started running. And it was weird because Frazier and Votto were these two guys who were running like crazy early on and they both have kind of stopped. So sometimes, you know, it's just so hard with stolen bases outside of those burners who, you know, are going to go because that carries so much of their value, like their teammate, Billy Hamilton. Let's move on to Sal Perez, another guy who is, is failing right now because, I keep hearing him talked about as if he's so good, and I'm not seeing it in the numbers the last two years. So I don't know what I'm missing. I'm not saying he's bad. He is a quality catcher overall, and he's still top 10 even with even with his in fantasy with his 85 WRC plus because he has 16 bombs. He's one away from last year uh, in 200 fewer plate appearances. But Sal Perez is hitting 251, 265, 420. He had a 289 on base last year. Again, catcher buys you leeway, as you mentioned, with vote. But uh, what's going on with Sal Perez? Because these numbers are just not impressive. You know, there's. I heard something about an injury. Okay, and, and maybe playing through that. Yeah, and a lead, a lead hand injury. So, um, you know, I have to, I have to look that up. My internet is not doing very well. I, I mean, if it's something like that, because something that just came up in the chat, I think today. I'm, I'm trying to remember where I heard that. It's also kind of a wonky, you know, one of these things where he's good for a month, bad for a month, good for a month, bad for. Well, a month. I mean, he plays so much. That's the thing they, too, and I know that that plays a role into. That's why I won't draft him though either, because I don't. I, I think the two last two months of the season are generally a wash for this guy, a washout, I should say. Yeah, an MRI taken Wednesday on Salvador Perez's left wrist. Ruled out any major structural damage. He's going to avoid the disabled list, and he has a sore wrist. Okay. I mean, that's basically what you're saying, and why why he's a little bit of a, a risk late in the season. I mean, yeah, because because he's going to keep playing. That's the thing. I mean, now, now they've got such a big lead, and, and and everything's looking really good for the Royals that maybe they'll consider actually giving him some some more legitimate rest. But uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, he's still 25, too. And the fact that, you know, he's putting up uh, more homers every year, I guess I'm, I'm assuming he's going to get at least two more homers. And so then it's 11, 13, 17, and then at least 18, I would say. Uh, you know, he keeps adding to the homer total. He's shown some batting average piece in the past. Maybe he can start to mix the two a little bit. Um I still I still think it's you know perfectly fine player, but I think it gets treat I think his reputation is higher than these numbers in the last two years, and and that reputation is protecting him maybe from getting crushed because we usually we as a as a fantasy baseball community are are smoking guys with a 280 OBP in 998 plate appearances, but I don't hear much said of Sal Perez's uh, inability to get on base regularly. One more guy <laughs> who is playing terribly. And uh, it's Hanley Ramirez. He, he is, he's really, really falling off. He's taken his, his uh, OPS plus down uh, on BREF all the way down to 103. And this was a guy who was on fire to start the year. And then he ran into the wall. And, uh, you know, I, I was done with him there. I, re I really was. And um, I haven't regretted that. He's got a 681 OPS since then, uh, since running into the wall on that defensive play. He had a 949 before that. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's all that, but that was enough to have me concerned about him, a guy who's already had injury issues throughout his career. And it, it just doesn't look good for Hanley right now. Where do you stand with him? Obviously, next year he doesn't have this shortstop eligibility anymore. I think that's going to take a massive chunk out of his value. 
and you know how long can we play this game of oh he'll be more you know he'll be more healthy if we just move him to dh right yeah <laughs> he's gonna be the guy who you know is playing dh and like runs and falls down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> he'll be one. he'll be more healthy when he's sitting on the set of mlb tonight analyzing <laughs> and even <laughs> then like, he falls off his amazing. chair when singer pushes him <laughs> I mean, he's had a decent season. He's probably going to end the year with uh, his traditional sort of 400 to 500 plate appearances. I mean, that's discounting 2012, uh, you know, amazing, you know, amazing. I mean, that year he hit 257. So, you know, when he's in there for the full season. That was the craziest yeah. part, though, is that we kept saying if we could just get him back to that full season because he only played 142 in 2010 and then just 92 in 2011. Like, just got to get him on the field for a full year. Plays one of his fullest years in a while, 157 games, 667 plate appearances, 759 OPS, 257 average. That was great. I mean, still 2020. Nobody was complaining about the season, but he put up like an Ian Desmond season. And then he hasn't been able to stay on the field since. 86, 128. Got 97 games right now. We'll see. We'll see how that finish line goes, especially with the team that's way out of it. They have all the incentive to just kind of rest him here and there too. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, you know, people are already talking about whether or not they're going to, um, you know, they're going to uh, try and you know offload him. And oh, uh, in the in the off season. Yeah, and uh, you know where he's going to end up. Um, you know, and for what it's worth, there's been so many uh, crazy years and so many injuries and stuff. And, you know, it's hard. It's easy to forget that he's 31. In this case, it's like, you know, only 31. It feels like he's old. Yeah, um, he, he can look old at times, much older. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he could end up at first. Like, honestly, he could end up at first. They're talking, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, is in the discussion now. Um, yeah, his bat's uh, heating think- up. And they're not. I don't think Napoli's under contract next year. Napoli's gone. He went back uh, to Texas. Yeah, that's right. He got traded so, even. But, so but yeah, I mean, Betts, Castillo, and and Bradley it can be an amazing outfield defense. So if Bradley can keep his his head above water with the bat. You don't want Hanley Ramirez out there. That's such a colossal upgrade between those two. I mean, the the chasm could not be bigger between two defenders. I don't think. And uh, I think your first base thing sounds crazy because this is a guy who is a year away from you know, a year removed from playing shortstop. But I don't think it's too far fetched, especially if he had an off season to kind of figure it out a little bit. Um, that might be his maybe not next year, but 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 beyond. I could definitely see it. Yeah. So, I mean, then you're really then you're really killing his uh, positional value. So, um, you know, I, you know what? He's, he's going to go. He's still, I, I figured it out. I figured it out. He's going to St. Louis to play first base. They're going to turn him back into the 30-30 guy, and they're going to have a 30-30 first baseman. So I'm going to draft him in the first round next year as a preemptive strike for that St. Louis trade. It's coming. Would that be the weirdest thing you'd ever seen? <laughs> that would be – Hanley Ramirez in a St. Louis – oh, my God. In a St. Louis so uniform weird. playing first base. First base. It would be so weird. I kind of want it to happen. I wanted, I just think it would be hilarious, especially if they did put the devil magic on him and, and he ended up getting back to – like he stays healthy for three years in a row or something crazy from age 32 to 35. Uh, yeah, that uh, that would be – I guess I'd be 32 to 34. Or he goes to the White Sox, who are supposed to have this this health devil magic. That's true. 
You know, we could really test them with this sort of situation. We just start, te- you know how we, we, we always want the, the broken pitcher to go to Ray Searage. Uh, we'll take the most injured guys and just start putting them on the White Sox just to see if they can stay healthy. <laughs> We're going to start them with a really hard one. Here's Hanley Ramirez. Let's see what you can do. And then, and then we'll give them Brandon Morrow uh, uh, on a minor league deal. And they'll rehab him, and he'll be awesome. It'll be crazy. Uh, all right, you know, I got one last guy, and we're going to go back to the positive end of the spectrum. A guy who pitched today, John Lester, uh, threw another solid game, six innings, scattered seven hits, two runs, two walks, ten strikeouts. He's now got 149 strikeouts in 145 and two-thirds innings of work, about a 25% strikeout ratio. So he's matching last year. And, in fact, you know, the ERA hasn't matched last year, that 246, but that's such a clear career year for him. I was surprised that expectations were still below three. Yet at the same point, he's at three right, uh, even. So uh, it, I guess the expectations weren't that far gone. But I don't think he's kind of getting the credit that he deserves for the season he's having because he got off to a tough start. And we always talk about how starts can influence uh, the perception of a season. A guy gets off to a wretched start. Yeah, it's hard to see the growth in May or, or in June, especially if it lasts two months. But if a guy gets off to, to a, 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 poor, a great start, then he can kind of carry that through uh, to the all-star break even sometimes, even if he continues to suck uh, through that. So I think Lester got off to a little bit of a tough start, but he's been mostly great now for several months. And uh, I, I don't think he's getting his due. He's almost kind of an underrated uh, fantasy frontliner. Where do you stand with John Lester? Uh, you know, there's a, 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 an analyst who shall not be named who, who says that John Lester is just a guy. And every time he says it, and he says it a lot, I'm just like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get that at all. Like, so, uh, I mean, I'm, I, keep try, I keep trying to look at the numbers and be like, oh, he means, uh, I don't know. Uh, so I, I don't know because if you look at uh, let's do my favorite pitch type peripherals, uh, he has a 19% whiff rate on the last two years. So we're not even looking back to when he was young and, and you know had more bounce in the step. He has a 19% whiff rate on his curveball, which is excellent. That's so um, not necessarily top five, but it's excellent. Uh, he's a 7% whiff rate on his four seam, also excellent. That's the average is around four or five. Um, and then the real standout thing, and this might be what it is, he's a cutter, right? And it's not, it's not a slider. It's more of a cutter. And it only gets 13% whiffs. That would be average if you call it a slider. It's intensely good for a cutter. It's probably the best cutter in baseball. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, and the, the, the part that you have to really think about is he's thrown 1,700 cutters. <laughs> still gotten 13% whiffs. It's like as if someone out there was throwing their slider as their fastball. You know what I mean? I guess That's it's almost insane. like a call the cue situation, except he doesn't have the bad fastball problem. And, you know, then, uh, okay, so you maybe talk about velocity. Well, okay, his, his four-seam, uh, you know, 91 and a half to 92. Uh, well, by the way, he's a left-hander. I was so going to say, that, he's lefty. And they're still velocity. swinging through it. They're still swinging right. through it. You know, okay, so uh, some, sometimes command can get overrated because uh, pitchers don't, aren't that great at, at hitting the target. I, I understand that. Pitchers miss the catcher's target by 13 inches on average. So, you know, but they're, you know, saying that 
that makes command in, not valuable. I think it's missing the point that even if there is this weird thing that they miss by 13 inches, that means that some are better and some are worse. That means that some guys average six inches, you know, um, and, and some guys average 20. So for every Tim Lincecum, there's going to be a John Lester. So John Lester has good command. And I think that shows up in his home runs allowed and his walk rate. So, uh, so there, there's a, not just a guy there. Uh, uh, ground ball rate, above average. Maybe he's just a guy when it comes to ground balls. But I think what we really need to, to realize is that he's very Bumgarner-like. He, every pitch comes out. He's very same arsenal as Bumgarner. Uh, every pitch comes out the same slot. Every pitch looks the same. Every pitch is exactly the same until it's not. So, um, you know, I, I have a thing coming out with Bauer tomorrow where he said, I struggle with this idea. You know, is it more important for my curveball to drop 10 inches and be amazing? Or is it more important for my curveball to come out of the same place and look the same way as my fastball? That's you know, such a great thing to think about. Like how many inches should I – how many inches – of drop should I sacrifice for looking the same? Yeah, for and, better, better deception that way. And I think maybe the just a guyness is if you watch Lester and you say, well, you know, that curveball doesn't look very great. And, you know, it's just a curveball. And it changes, you know, it changes admittedly not that good. And, and he's just got a cutter and, you know, average velocity. And he's not, he's just a guy. Well, dude, it looks the same until everything's three, four, five inches different. You know, at the right moment, so I mean, think he's the tunneling guy. It's, it's he's a, the tunneling guy. It's a situation where you can only really fully assess it when you're in the box. You know, I mean, you got to see it. Remember, maybe even just see it in person. Maybe you don't have to be in the box, but you just have to see behind it. Behind home plate. Be, oh, yeah, right. behind home plate to see it. Uh, whereas somebody like a Bauer definitely maintains a high reputation uh, compared to, to the output that he gives because he has filthy stuff and because you can see it very clearly when you're watching. You know, because that was my main point here was that is Lester getting enough credit for what he's doing because, uh, you know, he got off to uh, – the bad start, by the way, is so overblown. It was like three bad starts and, and a, a baseline quality start uh, in April. So he had uh, four and a third, three runs, six innings, six runs, five and a third, three runs. And then the baseline quality starts, six innings, three runs. So he had a 623 coming out of April in those four starts. But, you know, the only one he was really smoked in was, was against Cincy. From that point on, he's been fantastic. A 267 before today. That doesn't even count the, the, the seven innings, two runs that – or excuse me, six innings, two runs that he had today. So I don't know. Yeah, that just a guy thing seems to uh, kind of be pervasive in the uh, fantasy baseball culture too where he just – doesn't get the respect that he deserves. I mean, had the career year last year, but he is following it up a lot better than uh, than I think some people might have thought. But there there was some excitement about him coming into the year too. So I, I, I'm trying to balance it because some folks seem to be excited, but then easily pushed off of that after four starts, while others, like the the analyst who will not be named, believe him to be just a guy. Yet he continues to pitch extremely well. Even when he was struggling, even in his bad years, I would watch Lester and be like, he's so much better than this. I've, I've always I will, felt that you know, he's been better. I'll admit that context helps him in this situation. I mean, uh, there definitely were some just-a-guy years and with the Red Sox. Certainly, and but the, even during those years, I think it was clear, or I, I thought it was, it was to me, 
that this guy was better than than what was happening. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think he probably struggles with the same thing. Bumgarner told me that on his on his cutter, which is you know a kind of a cutter slider, you know hybrid. I think he's very similar to Bumgarner actually. And I like and you know and you know he Bumgarner told me sometimes I get around on my slider and it gets too big and then it gets too curve like and then my pitches are are actually a little bit too too uh, similar. So um, you know lefties use the cutter. Uh, to bust platoons now and it's not something that you can see in the numbers and know oh yeah the the cutter has a reverse platoon spin the problem is that uh cutters are very hard to define and so when anytime yeah. you look in the numbers you're, you're you're grouping sliders with cutters and fastballs and blah 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 so uh i i, I trust uh pitching coaches and pitchers when they say you know a true cutter without you know that much vertical drop with you know sort of a horizontal pitch uh, is a platoon buster is a way to get in on the hands of an opposite-handed pitcher, a hitter. Um, so this is very important with these lefties because they see a ton of righties, and you know. So he has his cutter, he has the curve, which is big, that he can use, uh, and then he has this, he has the cutter that's more horizontal. And uh, you know, when Bumgarner said, "I struggle when I get around the side of my cutter and uh, gets too big, looks too much like my curveball." Um, and, uh, I think that's probably, you know, looking back over the, the course of Lester's career, you can actually see that, um, you know, if you, if you open up the, uh, the, the query to, you know, his, uh, all the years, uh, you can see that there's a, a decent amount of change in the whiff rates on his cutter and, uh, the horizontal and vertical movement on this cutter. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the cutter is you know, something that he has to fool around with a little bit. Um, and uh, and sometimes he gets, you know, around side the ball and uh, and that's when he loses it. And, you know, maybe maybe that's when he looks like more more than just a guy. So, um, you know, even even when he was at his worst, he, I think he had good command and, uh, and and his pitches look very similar. And uh, now he's in the National League. And, you know, I, I think he's I think he's good to go for at least. Uh, another two, three years like this. He's also really great in the playoffs too. I mean, uh, it didn't fare as well for him last year when he gave up six runs in the in the wild card game, but that only bumped his ERA up to 257 in 84 uh, playoff innings too. So you know, y- you would think that some of that uh, just a guy aspect might wear off with the high quality uh, playoff work as well. A lot of guys get extra credit for that. Speaking of bum Garner, by the way. So yeah. I, I don't know, but, uh, I'm with you on Lester in terms of definitely feel like he's somebody who can continue to pitch well, even as he, he gets older, you know, and the, the fantasy community is very ageist. So even already at 32, he might start to get a little bit of the short end of the stick next year too. So We'll take advantage of that. No big deal. All right, you know, that's going to do it for us for the week. Uh, Jason and I will be back on Sunday, and then you and I will be back Tuesday. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, uh, and uh, thanks for everybody that uh, listens and uh, and uh, gives us good ratings on, on iTunes and uh, uh, makes us feel better about ourselves. So uh, we, we love you a lot.